we go. That was the easy part. I'm old school Methodist when it comes to not standing behind what we consider the pulpit. Just so you know, that's meant for the pastor. And I've said this to him before. Um, the Methodist church that I went to, who shall remain nameless, I don't want you to get in the wrong idea uh, that I'm uh, downing them in any way, shape, or form. But when you stand behind the pulpit, you're the pastor. There was always a lectern that you would stand behind if you were laity. Anybody remember those days? Yeah. So that kind of sticks with me, and I, I won't be standing back there because that's not me. If that's you, it's a new day. It's okay. It's a place, and sacred cows make the best hamburgers. <laughs> okay. <laughs> when we are going to be looking at one of the most dark, sad, anguish-filled books of the Bible, and it's uh, in Psalm number 88. Is anybody familiar with Psalm 88? Great. One person. Two people. Fantastic. You've, you may have read over it before. It's um, one of two. How many psalms are there joy? There are 150 psalms. There are two in the Psalter that are very sad and that never end on a, a high note. Some of the most great uplifting things come from the Psalms. We read Psalm 20 verse 4. May he give you the desire of your heart and make all your plans succeed. Oh, it's fantastic. Psalm number 27.1 says, The Lord is, the, is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? We know that one, right? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? It's an uplifting thing, right? I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonderful deeds. Fantastic. Psalm 16.8. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. There are two out of 150 that don't have anything to do with any uplifting words. 39 and 88. You can read 39 on your own. 88 is what we're going to be talking about today. What is a psalm, first of all? In order to know where we're going, we got to know where we were and where we are to be, if you're going in a straight line, right? It's basic geometry. You got to know where it, that points you in the right direction, where you are and where you're going, right? So we got to know where we were. What is a psalm? A psalm, very simply put, <clears throat> excuse me, is a sacred psalm. Or it can be determined or, or, or defined by the word praise. And it's God-breathed. Okay? A hymn is a little different. It's a religious song. It's a song of praise as well. You've heard that just a second ago and what a psalm is. But a hymn is written by man. A psalm would be considered inspired by the Holy Spirit. Does that make any sense? Uh, Paul in his second uh, letter uh, to Timothy, 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. So, we know what a psalm is. We know that it's God-breathed. Psalm 88 is. We'll question that in a moment. It's 
It's tough for us as human beings to understand why this is even in the Bible. For me, it was. So who wrote this one? In the beginning of it, it says that the man's name that wrote this one is Heman. He was assigned by King David to be one of the three Levites to be a minister of music. All right, then. He is the grandson of Samuel and the son of Joel. You got the idea of who he is? He was a great appointed musician for King David. So now we have a kind of a feel for what, who wrote it, what it is. Next, you're going to see some words in it that you, you've seen before many times, but do you know what Selah means? You're going to see this in this passage. Who, does anyone know what Selah really translates to? I don't. It can mean a couple of things. It can mean it's time to praise God. Okay? It can also mean, let's just pause for just a moment and reflect on what we just read or what we just heard. It can also mean stick it in your pipe and smoke it. Oh, you know what that you know, Take that for a minute. Because whoever is delivering that message is telling you, uh, calm down, take a look at what you just read. I want you to stew on that for a minute. Because some of these things are not easy to swallow. So we look at Psalm 88. And I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. And here's how it goes. O Lord God of my salvation... I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to hear me. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength. Like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more. Ooh. For they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit. I'm going to read that again. Heman is saying to God, you have put me in the depths of the pit. In the regions dark and deep, your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. Selah. Take a minute and let that marinate. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I'm shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord, and I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders to the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Selah. Take that. Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness? Are your righteousness in the hand of the forgetfulness? 
But I, O Lord, cry to you in the morning. My prayers come before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your, your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. In the original Hebrew, the last line is, my closest friend is darkness. Happy New Year. Wow. What an opportunity in the word of the day for us to see some insight into what's going on with Heman. Psalm 39 says, at the end of it, it says, it says, look away from me so I can smile again. What is going on that we feel that this is so objective and not subjective? Does that make any sense? What do we feel like it is so, such a, 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 an assured thing that your suffering will always be there? That's objective, rather than subjective, which is, I'm going through some trials right now, and it'll pass. The psalmist is not specific on what his brand of suffering is, is he? We don't say, you've, like with Job, you hear what his sufferings are. His family says, curse God and die. We hear that he's got sores on his body, that he scrapes with pots. We hear that, and that's exactly what's going on with Job. But this psalmist, Heman, is not really describing exactly what's going on in his world that makes him say things like, your terrors are on me. I always like to insert in times like this my brand of suffering into that to gain what it is God would have me understand about that piece of scripture. For me, it's depression and anxiety. And this is where it gets real. I was... I was raised in a broken home, did not have the worst childhood in my life. Please don't misunderstand me. But when you can relate to something like this on a personal level and go into the scripture and you can exactly see and, and pertain that particular thing in your life to what's going on with someone else, it gets real personal. So for me, over the last few years, I have gone through 
Not just one, but two divorces. I have this year alone. And this is where it's going to get real personal with me. I've written letters twice this year because I had plans to not be here anymore. I'm not asking for you to feel sorry for me. I'm not asking you to come up to me after the service and give me a big hug and say, I didn't know. Of course you didn't know. I'm telling you this because this scripture is real. God wants to have a real relationship with you. And since I said to Joe, yeah, I'll take care of the 29th, this is the only subject that he's put on my mind. I don't want to talk about this. But somebody in this room needs to hear that God wants to have a personal relationship with you. When I came back to, to worship here, a little over a year ago, I sat back in that back pew because I didn't want to have anything to do with any of you. I love you. Don't get bent out of shape, Carolyn. Don't get bent out of shape, Jan. I love you too. I love Becky. I love all of you. I didn't want to have anything to do with singing. Mm, boy, could barely eke out the hymns that we were doing at the time. I didn't want to have anything to do with shaking nobody's hand. I didn't want to have anything to do with sitting up here where the other folks were sitting to get a little bit more of Jesus. I didn't want to have anything to do with that. And one Sunday morning, this guy came up to me and he shook my hand. And he said, man, I love you. He said, come sit with me anytime you want to. And it was no pressure. No pressure, man. But, All right. I appreciate that. He didn't know. You didn't know that day, man. You didn't know what I was going through. He had no clue what I was going through at that time. But he took the opportunity to walk back there and just shake my hand. That's all I needed that day. He probably got me through about another two weeks just by saying hi. And so I thank you for that. Thank you. Mark doesn't know that so many times, and, and he knows my favorite hymn is he keeps me singing. He knows that. For a decade now he's known that. And not only was that chosen for the first hymn this morning, he just, I know, he, he didn't say anything to me about it, but he chose it because I was going to be speaking. Tell me that's why you chose it. No, that's why you chose it. Okay, good. <laughs> Mark knows. Lori, if you're ever in the second service, I never go down this way. I always go down this way because that sweet lady has said more encouraging words to me when I was in the darkest, deepest pits that anyone could ever really know. And it's not because she was expecting to have some kind of transactional relationship with me because, hey, maybe he'll rekey my kid's house when, uh, when he needs to have it done. She wasn't doing that. She was doing that because she's my friend and she reached out to me. 
She doesn't want to have a transactional relationship with me. Mark doesn't either. Neither does Doug. Neither does Joe. How many times has Joe met with me? Well, we had coffee or he had coffee and I had nothing because if I have coffee late at night, I'm up till three. How many times has he said, I love you, brother? Sometimes we don't know when somebody's struggling. Sometimes we don't know when it's happening. Sometimes we have no clue what it is that you're struggling with. And sometimes it's none of your business. I'm sorry. It's the truth. What a great, great bunch of people that are here. My sister, my older sister. What a wonderful, wonderful soul she has. She has put up with me for a little over a year now, living in her basement, while I try to pay off $40,000 of medical debt. It's hitting me from all angles sometimes. Charles Spurgeon, one of the most prolific Bible-teaching scholars, suffered from a very deep, very deep, dark depression. Over 100 years ago, this man wrote some wonderful words, and I'm going to read them to you, if I can find them. Regarding depression, it is very well for those who are in robust health and full of spirits to blame those whose lives are sicklied or covered with the pale cast of melancholy. But as is real, it is as real as a gaping wound and all the more hard to bear because it lies so much in the region of the soul that to an inexperienced, it appears to be a mere matter of fancy and diseased imagination. Reader, never ridicule the nervous. Their pain is real, though much of that malady lies in the imagination, it is not imaginary. If you've never suffered from any kind of anxiety or depression, God bless your heart. Maybe your brand of suffering is you've had cancer. Maybe you've had hay fever. Maybe you've had insert whatever you've gone through. The wonderful thing about God is he's going to meet you exactly where you are. And all of those things are relative. All of those things are relative. If it's depression, or if it's cancer, or if it's... To you, it's the end of the world. It can be. To others, it might not be. But God's not concerned with that when he's concerned with what's going on with you. Does that make any sense? I hope it does. How can a psalm that's so dark and quite honestly so close to blasphemy be put in the Bible? God 
understands. Why would he want something that doesn't end on a high note? And why would he want me to be speaking on something right at the end of the year? Hey, let's have a grand new year. Why would he want that? Because he gets it. Heman was so imbrued with what was going on with him, he thought that it would never end. He thought his darkness would never end. But let me tell you a story about another man who took on stuff that was not even his. God understands on a personal level because he came to earth. James 1.3 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Wow. We read in the book of John as well. John 15, 20. Jesus' words. Jesus himself said these. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is no greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. There is no promise anywhere in this Bible that says, as a Christian or as a believer, you are not going to have trials and tribulations. There's no promise. Find it. It's not there. What he did promise is he will never leave us or forsake us. Therein lies the uplifting part. Jesus was despised. He was rejected. He was cut off when he said, why have you forsaken me? He was on the cross in the ninth hour and he says, why have you forsaken me? That's because he was having the sin of the world placed on him. Much less being nailed to a cross. God through Christ wants us to come to him in our times of need. We read the first line of, of Psalm 88 again. Do you remember what it said? What's it say? Lost it already. Psalm 88, the very first line of it says this. O God, O Lord, God of my salvation. That's all you need to hear. I cry out to you day and night. Let my prayer come before you. The very first line tells us the promise. We don't see in, in so many words the uplifting thing like, oh, this is going to be a great day tomorrow because you're here. No. We know he will never leave us and he'll never forsake us. But who you put, who you complain to, or who you say your words to, is who you put in charge. Okay? So, we can grumble, we can say, poor me, we can kick a rock, we can, mm, or we can do like this Psalm 88, and, and it's okay. Because God sent his son 
to have a personal relationship with us, to take away the sins of the world, he sent his son to live among us, to be in flesh, to see that through our eyes, created eyes, that what we're going through, the struggles that we have, You see, <laughs> we believe, we know that Haman was, Haman was a uh, believer because of those first words. He complained to God. When you start talking to the, to the one that's in control, you get things done. Why would you go to the, the, the little girl at Subway and complain about the cost of a meatball sub? She doesn't have anything to do with the price of the meatball sub. She's not in control. She might put the stickers on the sign, but she's being told what the stickers are going to say, right? What an obscure reference, Subway and God. Yeah. But do you see what I mean? We can grumble to one another. We can, and, and I'm not saying that you can't have a, a person that you can go to and, and, and talk about things. But when we start to grumble to other people and get a bad case of the poor me's, we're not talking to the person that's in charge. That's me too. I'm not shaking a finger at you because I need to shake it at me too. We need to understand who the one that's in control the one that we can go to in our times of need. The ones who we can maybe get a little angry with. We don't necessarily want to slip into a slippery slope. But we can say, I feel like this is going on forever, man. I had a tough conversation with God the other day in my car. I don't, know if you, I don't know where you pray, but at the time I was praying in my car on the way to work. Somebody might cut you off. You might be five minutes late for work. You might, who, who knows? Insert your brand of whatever. But mine, I was driving over the Kennedy Bridge going into Louisville. And just something come on me. And I said, God, why, man? Why do I have to go through this? He said, because I'm here. I'm here. Yeah, you got to go through some things. Yes. Never said that you wouldn't. But I always said that I'll be right there with you. It's the need for a Savior. And we have that Savior through Jesus Christ who took on the sins of the world who really was cut off. His was objective. It's cliche to say, but it's so true. This too shall pass. Even if it's years. My therapist said, when I told her that I was going to be preaching on this subject, she goes, hmm, good luck with that. Good luck. So 
So it's cleared by her. But uh, we have an awesome Savior who wants to have a personal relationship with you. So much so that he's going to put a very, very dark, very brooding, very painful, lamenting psalm in the book that we read that looks like there's no way out at first glance. But I can tell you, there is. His name is Jesus. He wants to have a personal, right-on-the-money relationship with you. Will you let him? Let's pray. Father God, we're so grateful that we have your son, Jesus. We're so grateful that you've sent him. We're so grateful for the Holy Spirit to comfort us in times of need. Thank you again for the friendships that we have, for those that are here with us, that we can talk to. But just allow us the grace when we start to veer to go back to you, to pray to you that these things should be taken to you, our creator, the boss, the manager, the one that's in control. Thank you again. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus' mighty and precious name. Amen.